It's time to shake up that paradigm. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. Hey, everybody. Uh, Thank you for downloading this month's episode of Infinite Banking Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe. And uh, it's great to, great to be with you. We have a, an exciting show. I think I say that every time we do a podcast. I just consider every podcast a pretty exciting time, especially because we have uh, new guys in the hot seat. We have a new guy here in the hot seat today. But before we get to, before we get to our guests, uh, go back and check out some of our previous podcasts. Uh, we, we've done this for a number of years now. And, uh, and so it's definitely worth going and looking at the different topics, different guests that we've, that we've had. You can uh, find that podcast either on iTunes or you can go into our website. We also uh, have all of them listed there. The website's www.paradigmlife.net. And uh, we also have a, a, free, uh, a free course on the infinite banking concept that you can uh, register for free. You can go to our website to do that. Website again, www.paradigmlife.net. Uh, on there, the course just includes uh, di- different resources, mainly video tutorials, just walking through the different aspects of the, of the concept itself. And uh, some of those videos are available on YouTube too. Actually, I've done I've done some new videos over the last uh, couple months that you can access uh, on YouTube. Uh, our YouTube channel is just youtube.com forward slash paradigm life. And uh, we are also somewhat active on on Facebook. And so we try to put out some, some uh, relevant content, uh, not necessarily having to do with the infinite banking concept, but just our financial philosophy in general. All right, enough enough of that. Actually, you know, one more thing. We we've been working uh, pretty hard on a new website that's going to be coming out, so definitely uh, stay tuned to that. Keep uh, keep uh, paradigmlife.net in your bookmarks, and and also if you're in our database, we'll be uh, pushing out a pretty big uh, announcement for that. So we're hoping hoping to get that wrapped up uh, by the end of the month. But for those of you who have built websites in the past, I don't know if there's uh, such a thing as a, a firm timeline when it comes to web website companies. But but anyway, that's another story. Okay, so we have uh, we have an exciting individual in the office today and he's going to show that with the enthusiasm in his voice but uh but nate nate butler is uh is one of our uh, newer guys he's been here since uh, uh late last year and uh, he's been a pleasure to work with he was in, he's been in the insurance and financial services industry for for quite a while and brings a lot of uh, expertise and experience to to the team so i'm gonna have nate just give uh give us a, a brief uh 30 second 45 second background or maybe longer if you want to if you're just super Keep stoked going. and enthusiastic then hey go for it <laughs> Well, this definitely is the hot seat, that's for sure. <laughs> no, so I've been in the financial services industry for about five or six years now and uh, previously worked on the other side of the line with regards to investing in mutual funds and stocks and bonds and helping clients with rollovers and IRAs and kind of as time went on learning kind of how that worked and seeing how the market worked and didn't work, started wanting to see a different strategy. So Interesting. So you saw firsthand what was going on. Yeah, it was very interesting, actually. And Did you see that new movie that's coming out? The uh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's called actually. like the what's it? It's the like the Wall Street Maverick or the Wall Street whatever. It looks looks interesting. Yeah. No, so, so you were right in the soup of that, right? Yeah. You were going to all the cocktail parties, and <laughs> li- living at large, and stretched limos and Ferraris. Right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it was interesting to see the you know, what people thought. And, and I, you know, I was, I was the same thing. I thought the market did something different than it actually does. Mm. And, uh, you know, the more that I learned, the more that I watched and uh, started looking for a different strategy. And I, that's when I actually came across the infinite banking concept. 
uh, years ago, I talked to one of the other guys here, Brad, yeah. Brad Gibb. And, uh, over the years we, uh, we kept talking and I kept learning and, and, uh, finally took the plunge. Finally did. Uh, yeah. and I, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. We're, you've, you've worked, you've worked really hard, but no, it's a, it's a difficult concept to get your mind around. And oftentimes those that actually come across the concept, it's because they've seen whether it's a downturn in the market and, and financial professionals themselves, it's because they've seen uh, bad client experiences and they've seen what occurs when uh, financial loss uh, affects people. And it and it's not just you know the, the loss in a bank account or a loss on a piece of paper. It's it's what it does to individuals uh, emotionally because right. money is something that just doesn't appear out of nowhere. It's it's something that's uh, that that requires value uh, to be exchanged. And oftentimes that's time, that's effort, that's time away from your family, it's uh, time going to school and learning a trade. And, and as a result of that, you get you get money. And then an individual puts that with somebody that they think is reputable, that they think is going to help grow it. Uh, and it turns out that they don't, and they lose it, and uh, and ult- it it affects a person uh, yeah. significantly. So it's and so my point is, is, oftentimes you have financial professionals that see this firsthand and and uh, make a 180. And a lot of individuals that do what we do, uh, they were in the traditional financial services industry at, at some point. You were only in there for a few years. Uh, I've I've uh, I have acquaintances have been in for for decades, and they finally come to this realization that um, there is it's it's kind of a shell game, and it's uh. It's it's a you know it's a modern day Las Vegas and it's a massive one at that. So so anyway, so let's 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 get off of that topic. We can smack on on Wall Street all day all day. But uh, uh, but we're going to talk about a, a, a an interesting topic today, and it's interesting because there's very few people that that really uh, that really know about it and what uh, what the actual characteristics are. Uh, so the topic today is going to be cash value and what cash value cash value is. Uh, and it's interesting. We, if you go on to for those of you who are not familiar with Google Alerts, you can go on to Google and establish an account for free, and you can be alerted as to different keywords uh, and and new content that comes on the internet specific to those keywords. So I, I subscribe to a, to a number of them, and uh, it's it's entertaining sometimes because out there there is this there's this big misconception about insurance and cash value and what it is and how it works and the expenses associated with it. And uh, there's it's really there's a lot of rhetoric and there's not a lot there, actually there's none that I've seen as far as substantiated data that uh, that really points to uh, the, the claims that that are you know that are out there. So I think it has a bad name. Dave Ramsey obviously slams it. Susie Orman slams it. Uh, but you have a lot of others as well. And it's interesting because. Uh, the one I got over the weekend was uh, by a relatively uh, well-known economist, uh, Gary North. And Gary North, I've actually quoted a lot of his articles on the, on this podcast because I follow him and I like him a lot. Um, but he he basically had this uh, you know article against you know whole life insurance and called it rubbish and called it trash. Uh, and uh, it's unfortunate because what he was referring to, which formed his opinion, was one specific clause in a book that I'm not going to name. It's out there, uh, but a book that misrepresents some of the things that happen inside of the insurance. And it's unfortunate that a person will derive an opinion based on that one, you know, one brief clause. But oftentimes that's how a lot of us form form opinions. So it's interesting. It's just that there's an overwhelming sense of um, that the you know, in, insurance and specifically permanent insurance is, uh, is 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 expensive and has no economic worth. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is there, there's a, there's always a right way and a wrong way, right? And and there's there's different different perspectives on what it is mm-hmm. and how it works. In different ways to use it, and the the company that I used to work for, we you know I was surrounded by guys who loved mutual funds and loved the market, and had this negative connotation when it came to cash values and, and life insurance in general. And it's simply because it was misunderstood mm-hmm. and and used incorrectly. 
and 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 the more that I learned about it, I've I've realized the power that it that it that it has as long as it's set up correctly and used correctly. Yeah, and that's a big point too, because as far as what cash values, I think we should probably start there. So, cash cash value is is considered just for simplicity's sake, considered the the equity. Uh, of a permanent policy, just like equity in a home is, if you sell the home, it's it's the difference between what the value and the debt is against it. Uh, this is basically the living or the equity of of a life insurance policy. And so what that means is that if you, because obviously life insurance is life insurance, it pays out when you die. This is basically the equity or uh, the value you get if you prematurely cancel it or surrender it. And it didn't always exist. I mean, insurance, obviously, going back to the you know the roots of insurance. Um, it was it was developed by churches for for the most part, and especially for for widows, uh, or so that widows would not be uh, subject to the the church's assistance for the rest of their life. Uh, but anyway, it kind of gravitated into private industry and 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 business. And uh, at the turn of the well, probably in the eighteen hundreds, mid eighteen hundreds or so, is when cash value was established, which was you pay into this policy for X amount of time, and if you don't die, you don't get anything. So there was some, you know, so, so that's kind of where the value of cash value came from. It was just an economic, uh, it was a demand, and then the market provided a solution to that demand. Yeah, I, I think the demand, that's, that's a good point because I think as, as the product has, has developed, it's created more of a demand for the living benefits. And you talked about the living benefits as well as the death benefits, mm-hmm. and it's important to understand both of those and how they work together. Yep. So I think, so again, when cash value was established, then it was more of a, it's a refund of, of money that was paid in if the person doesn't die within a specific period of time. And, and then from there, it, it started to, uh, to, to evolve. And uh, the insurance companies started to pay interest on that. They had guaranteed schedules. Uh, you have out there what are called mutual companies, which is uh, basically a private company that's exclusively owned by those who own whole life insurance that has a subsequent you know, schedule of cash values. So what the mutual company would do is relative to your cash value, they would pay you a dividend. They pay you interest based on the profits of the entire company. So looking at that and looking at how it evolved, as you go to the turn of the century in the 1900s, uh, the, the majority of Americans, that was their primary save, savings vehicle. It was ca- it was cash value. And so if you look at the market, you know, the stock market really started to to thrive at the turn of the century with the Industrial Revolution, getting into the Roaring Twenties up until the, you know, the uh, Great Depression and uh, the, the crash of 1929. Uh, but that's when, you know, the, the market kind of came on board, society started to evolve, and people wanted, you know, better better returns. So what that shows you is that since, you know, since the turn of the century, the markets, whether it's a stock market or whether it's uh, other type of investments, they've all been trying to keep up with what was the initial savings vehicle of, of America, which is insurance. And no one's been able to do it. <laughs> right. And, that's the, in- and that's, the, that's the interesting part because you have a lot of rhetoric out there and the rhetoric is based on claims that are not substantiated by data. If you look at the data, if you can run numbers and you look at what Wall Street does, if you look at um, what, what mutual funds do, if you look at just the statistics themselves and then you analyze insurance, even insurance not set up the right way, there is an argument there for for why people should have money there as opposed to the alternatives. Yeah, and, and actually that brings up a good point. That's That's what helped me start looking elsewhere was – actually looking at the the real statistics compared to what was stated and the averages and things like that yeah. and and the ability to put your money in something that is guaranteed your principal's guaranteed and you get a guaranteed increase on that yep. um, as well as the other benefits that we get with the with the cash values and uh, I think one of the you know one of the things and I, this is often often a 
not a concern, but it's also a, uh, it's often a, uh, it's misrepresented or misunderstood that, you know, we, we don't feel that, that the insurance side of things or, or a, a policy or cash value is what you should have exclusively as far as your assets are, are concerned. We, we believe in, in uh, building businesses. We believe in, in real estate. We believe in other assets and investments that, that make sense. Uh, the insurance, though, just plays a few, a few roles, which regardless of what investment you have, these roles should be a part of your overall game plan. And it's, it's, it's instead of having cash in, your bank, in a bank account or having cash in what's typically considered the, uh, uh, the tried and true cash vehicle, which is a, t- a 10-year treasury note, U.S. treasury note, instead of having uh, your money in those type of vehicles, this is, your ca- this is your cash vehicle. This is the vehicle that you have your liquidity. But as we've just mentioned, if you run the numbers – You'd have to you'd have to grow some pretty steep rates of return in other vehicles to net what the insurance policy provides, and it's mainly just because of taxes. Because insurance, which is a, one of the characteristics, is there's no tax on the growth if it's set up the right way. If you set it up, your cash value is going to build uh, tax free. There's no gains as far as income taxes or capital gains. Now there is taxation. Okay, when you do take money out of a policy in future years. Okay, there is tax once you've removed all of the basis. So what's that mean? What that means is that over the course of let's say thirty years, you put in half a million dollars in premiums. Okay, money that comes out of your pocket. When you start to withdraw that money, which is a partial surrender, you can withdraw up to the full five hundred thousand dollars with no tax. Okay, so it's first in, first out. And then after you get to that basis amount, that is when money is taxable at ordinary income. But what are some other characteristics of, of cash value, Nate, that would allow you to ultimately take money tax-free forever? Well, the, to me, the most important component of the cash value is, I guess the contract is the ability to loan against it mm-hmm. and, and essentially really use somebody else's money, um, which is going to leave your money in the cash values and they will continue to grow. And obviously leverage is an important component in building wealth, um, but also potentially mitigating risk. Well, I think it's the, it's the liquidity side of things too. And we, you know, there's, a, there's a document, I mentioned this a, a few podcasts back, there's a document that we came across that talks about the history of cash value, but also the history of a policy loan itself. And what they discovered is that those that were you know, putting money into insurance as part of their savings, um, they, life, always, life didn't always happen the way that they had planned. Go figure. So they saved and saved and saved and saved, but maybe it's a farmer, and the farmer didn't have the greatest year and had to you know, use some of his savings um, to, you know, to, to pay for expenses or to pay for overhead until harvest came around. So what, what started to happen, again, in the marketplace, there, uh, there was introduced into the insurance industry the policy loan, which is the insurance company would take part of their general funds, and they would loan it to policy owners against their cash value. And that would allow the cash value to continue to grow, allow them not to cancel the policy, but also give liquidity to the farmer or to the business owner or whomever to use so that you know, their savings vehicle would not, uh, would not surrender or cancel. Now, how, how relevant is that to today's day and age? I mean, go back to 2007 and 2008. You were still in the financial services industry. Talk about those times. We didn't, you know, we didn't prepare for this, but talk about those times and how important liquidity was or is to a, a person. Because 2008 and 2009 can repeat itself, can repeat yep. itself tomorrow. How important is liquidity during those periods of time? Well, and I don't think it's a matter of if it will repeat itself, but when. And, and uh, I, I got into the financial services industry right as the, the financial bust was happening. And it was interesting because nearly in, in front of every conversation was, what is the liquidity on, on this account? How can I access the money that I put in? 
and you know reluctantly had to say it was there was not a lot of liquidity if you're going into to a mutual fund and then there's the a shares and the c shares the contingent deferred sales charge and all the different fees and whatnot and then of course the taxes and the penalties and things like that so liquidity whether people understand it or not yet it's a very important component. Yeah, and if you haven't understood it yet or experienced it yet, you, you, you probably will. Yeah. And that's that's unfortunate because the the savings vehicle, the newer savings vehicle, you know, as compared to what the original one was, which is what we're talking about, but the, the current savings vehicle, which is your uh, defined or your deferred compensation plans, your your 401k's, your IRAs. I think there's some value there. Because you know they came about in a time where taxes were really high, and it gave a person the ability to to save without having to pay taxes on their contributions. However, it has become the predominant savings vehicle, and the destructive uh, part of it is that there's very little liquidity. Now, there are some loan provisions in there, but very restrictive loan prever- uh, loan provisions within a 401k. None against an IRA. So to access to access it, you have to prematurely cancel it, which incorporates taxes and penalties. And a person may only need the money for a month, two months, three months, right? But they don't have that liquidity vehicle like the policy has as far as the policy loan is concerned to be able to, you know, overcome whatever the the circumstance is where they need that liquidity. And without penalty, <laughs> that's yep. the best part. Yep. No, it's it's true. And and the whole the whole idea behind the liquidity and having money available, what, what I found was people were investing 3% of their income, getting the match in the 401k, and then spending the difference. And life happens like it always does, lose a job, maybe a child gets sick or something like that, and they're forced to liquidate a very expensive account to do so, to have that liquidity. Yeah, I mean, it's again, the, the, idea, the idea behind building cash value is it, 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 takes, it takes the form of your savings, and it could be short-term savings, it could be medium-term savings, it could be long-term savings. Okay, but the other role that it plays is, you know, it, it is your it's your immediate liquidity, it's your safety, it's your safety bucket. Uh, but even more than that, cash value has some other st- uh, characteristics that are really valuable today based on today's economic cir- circumstances. So I think you know, a couple months we saw in Cyprus that uh, money inside of a bank isn't always as safe as we think. Yeah. Now, two two ways. Obviously, in Cyprus, you know, everybody that had uh, more than a hundred thousand dollars or the excess of a hundred thousand dollars. Had it had it confiscated, and I think there were some you know other parameters there. Uh, but you go and look at you know some of the crises in in uh, 2007 2008. Uh, example that comes to mind is IndyMac. If you remember IndyMac, uh, IndyMac was was a bank. It was insured FDIC. But I remember when IndyMac went down, there were a lot of people that had in excess of a hundred thousand dollars because that was the FDIC limit back back then. But you look at you know the you know, the savings that was wiped out, and people. I remember reading some article where, like a cab driver had like. It was like a cab driver in San Francisco had like half a million dollars in his IndyMac account wow. and lost you know everything but a hundred thousand dollars. So it's no. it's those types of you know those types of issues where a person questions, wow, is a bank really as safe as as I've been told it is? Yeah, no, I, I had a friend who was working for his father-in-law and uh, running his company for him, and they deposited and I can't remember the time and what the FDIC in, insured limit was at the time, but they had deposited over. Over one night's time, above that that insured amount, and the next day the bank had closed their doors and oh, they lost, gosh. you know, the difference. Yeah. And so again, going back to the liquidity mm-hmm. and and having the ability to use the money, and and also keep it safe in a contract that is private. Right. That's that's another part of that. I think that's what we're getting at here. Yep. And I think one thing to I guess it's important to note is if for those of you who understand what fractional reserve banking is, for those of you who don't. 
Uh, I think a good a good video would be uh, the history. I think there's one by the Mises Institute called the History of uh, the Federal Reserve, and so that's a good one. But also, if you go onto YouTube, there's a channel called Con Con Academy K K H A N. Uh, and they go into banking as well, so you can learn about what fractional reserve banking is. But what that means is that a bank does not have to keep 100% of their deposits on deposit. They can loan out in multiple of whatever the deposits are. And uh, it's typically 10, 10 times. What that means is you can have 10 times the amount of outstanding loans than you have on deposits. Whereas the insurance company, the insurance company, they have obligations of, of cash value. I mean, if you, if you cancel your policy, they are contractually obligated to give you all of that cash value. Okay? It's very similar to a, uh, a savings account or a demand deposit, like a checking account. Um, so they, they have to basically keep 100% reserve requirement associated with those cash values. So that just alludes to the fact that it's extremely, extremely safe. Yeah, it's the layers of protection. You got it. So, so there's the there's the financial strength of the insurance company, which you know the companies we use, of course, have been around for for over a hundred years, and have some of the most financially strong ratings of of any of the any of the companies out there. I think and, another good note, you know, and this is I just thought about this. If you look at FDIC, so when you when you do business with a company, and I think today's day and age, it's awesome that we have kind of like this self policing. Uh, society where where if we want if we go to a restaurant like the other day we were, my wife and I and and the kids went to or we were pulling up to this restaurant that was new in our neighborhood and I went on and looked at Urban Spoon on the app and I was like no oh, let's let's go on here before we before we go in and uh, and sure enough there was a couple of bad ratings on there and this is bad and the service is bad and this and this and this and I was like ah oh, let's just go somewhere else right so so in you know today's modern era we have this like self policing associated with who we do business with. But the deceiving part of, of banks is people don't really go to a bank and say, is this bank reputable? Is, it, is my money going to be safe here? Because what sticker is on the door that ensures that the bank is safe? FDIC. FDIC. Now, if, F, if every bank was to go insolvent, does FDIC have enough money to, to pay? <laughs> I mean, the taxpayer does because there's, I guess, an infinite amount of money there, unfortunately, because of how they can print. But that's, no, that's another discussion. Uh, but the idea behind an insurance company is that when you do business with an insurance company, uh, most of our clients, it's really awesome, but they're like, what are they rated? Okay, how long have they been in business? Okay, what, uh, like what, what are their portfolio? I mean, just all the different things that you should be asking with every single institution you do business with. People ask associated with the insurance company, but rarely do you see that with the mutual funds that they buy. You see that with the banks that they keep their money in, et cetera. That that is yeah, that's exactly right. And I I would see that time and time again, where as long as it was a mutual fund company, it was fine. It was okay. It didn't matter. Yeah. And they, they as the client take on all of the risk, all the risk. <laughs> by lending their money or giving their money to a company. And and that company in that transaction, who's who's going to make the profits? The most of the profits It's the company, yep, of course. And they take on all the risks. It's kind of a backwards. Yeah, well, every and that's the other thing too is I, I I often use this as a as an important rule of thumb for how I how I do business is everything that I buy, the person that's selling it to me is is in the business of of making money and turning a profit. That's just right. the nature of business. If they were there to lose money, they'd be out of business, and I wouldn't be able to do business with them. So I always look at any type of transaction, even a financial transaction, insurance transaction. Whenever I pay for something, whoever's getting my money values it more than, you know, than uh, than what they're giving me. What they're selling you. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at looking at the insurance side of things. I mean, the benefit of doing business with a mutual company is the fact that when you put dollars with that mutual uh, put dollars with that mutual company through premium payments, you in essence have ownership over over the company, and your ownership allows you to take proceeds as far as 
the profits are concerned through dividends. And those dividends represent all their lines of business, represents their annuity line, represents their disability, represents, represents everything. And so you know that when you're exchanging your premiums for that policy, it's the most fair contract that, that exists. Because number one, insurance companies, they, they base all of their insurance policies on statistics and probability. And it's all insurance. It's car insurance. It's, it's uh, um, homeowner's insurance. It's, it's everything, Every, all insurance, health insurance. They all, they, all the insurance companies know what the data is and they know how to price the data so that, that when they get when they uh, get a premium payment, they're going to make money off of that, okay? Because of because of data, because of probability, and they have the data, they have the statistics, and and life life insurance is no different because that's probably one of the more, more easy things to predict. Just because that's a certainty, it's not a certainty that everybody's going to get into a car accident. Right. It's not a certainty that right. everybody's going to become disabled. It is a certainty that everyone's going to die, and it's just a matter of of when. And what are the results of that death? And the insurance company knows exactly what the data is to be able to price what they're going to charge and, and to, to turn a profit. And who receives that profit in the end? It's the owners. Yeah. So I, I look at you know, an insurance policy, and by far, as compared to every contract out there that I've ever seen, any, any financial transaction, this is the most fair one that exists. Yep. It's kind of like – so I used to sell home and auto insurance, and I'm sure everybody who's listening knows that car insurance – goes up in price every single year. Mm-hmm. And it's simply because of inflation and all those things. But the insurance company is going to make sure they turn a profit. And same thing with health insurance, same thing with disability, just like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And and the cool thing about the mutual insurance companies is you as the whole life policyholder get to participate in those profits. And your cash value represents your ownership in the company. Yep. And that's what's going to give you your, your dividend, the amount of dividend that you get. Well, I am so surprised we were able to spend 25 minutes talking about cash value. You were a little nervous coming yeah, in here, I was. weren't you, Nate? This was you feel the, a little better? You know, this is not, it's not so hot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, this has been good. Cool. It's been fun. All right, well, that's it, that's it for today. We'll, uh, we'll sign off. Uh, definitely check out some of our other resources. Uh, there, there are a few, few videos on YouTube that talk about the growth of cash value and look at uh, that quantified up against other other types of investments. So if you want to check out that video, I think it's the the truth about buy term and divest the difference. I think that's the most recent video. So go ahead and check that out and we will uh, talk to you next time.